Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley, and with us we have... Andrea Gazetta! Yay! And we have got a great episode for you today, but before that we have a little bit of a, of a change, a little bit of news. Yeah, normally this is where we would read a review from iTunes calling us racist against white people, or... Uh, <laughs> plug our patreon uh but instead and we're gonna cover this a little bit more at the end of the episode considering that the bulk of this episode is about our country and our government harming its own citizens it would be remiss of us to not note what is happening currently in our country and so in lieu of our patreon here are some links and some organizations that you can donate to instead so that'll be the Minnesota Freedom Fund at minnesotafreedomfund.org or at MN Freedom Fund on Instagram, Black Visions Collective at blackvisionscollective.org or at Black Visions Collective on Instagram, Reclaim the Block at reclaimtheblock.org or at reclaimtheblock on Instagram. All of those are organizations that are helping with the situation in Minneapolis right now, and they can definitely use your help. And as we're going to cover in the end of the episode as well, if you can't donate, telling people when things are racist and stopping racist things around you is free. So yeah. You can always do that. It's also, it's, uh, it's long-term difficult. I mean, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, you see somebody doing something racist, you tell them it's racist. They're not going to go like, oh, fuck, I've been a fool. They're, They're just, definitely going to argue with you, ignore you, or call you something racist. But you're going to put the seed of doubt there, and that's really all that matters. That is all what, all that matters. And fuck white supremacy. Yeah, I think we've covered that em. a lot on this show. But I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I'd say actually, that's the first time we've heard it. This whole time, I've been <laughs> wondering. No, I can't. I can't. I can't even make that joke. I don't want to. I don't even want to make that joke. Paige is great. <laughs> uh, so with. Without further ado, um, enjoy the show. Oh, also, it's going to be rough. I figure you know that because it's the Waco siege, but like, just in case you didn't know, it's a rough one. Yeah, it's very incredibly yeah. horrible and there, emotional. There's some moments up top that are pretty funny, but it does, yeah, it is, it is, um, it's a very good episode, very educational, very informational, very rough. And with that, I'm going to say hello. 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 For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Oprah's Magazine's Armando Torres. <laughs> and with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! Yay! Okay, Armando has an attitude because we made <laughs> Oprah Magazine's website's list of top cult podcasts <laughs> at number two. Yeah, you know, I was just talking with my good buddy, Oprah. I call her Oprah because we're so close. He's never met Oprah. <laughs> uh, I did text somebody who was 
making some stupid joke about me being chubby. I can't hear you over the Oprah. Uh, and it was great. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I I didn't I don't I don't want it to change me, but I did uh, I have been yelling about it at every other sentence basically. Yeah, he <laughs> I, he had a Zoom brunch where he just kept calling her Opes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I you did know. also text someone, Oprah won't change me. <laughs> so, so it's been an eventful day. <laughs> uh, in case you're wondering what we're talking about, like Paige said, Oprah Magazine Online, as Andrea also pointed out, uh, listed us on a, a list of cult podcasts to listen to, which is great because that's our name. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah fucks with us. We were in Oprah Winfrey's magazine. Uh, shouts out to everyone that was, you know, supportive and helpful and sent us the article because we didn't know yeah that was really <laughs> yeah, cool yeah, yeah, is yeah. that uh i was editing an episode for the podcast and then uh i got a a, a notification for f- the facebook group where somebody was like oh cool look you guys made it in this magazine and i was like how did you know before us i i was talking to crystal adams of black card rehab earlier today Amazing show. and she was like they didn't email you and i was like no <laughs> No. Or they did and we never got it. No, Who Oprah, knows? Oprah does news the same way she does everything else, which is she just yells, look under your chair, and you see that it's already happened. <laughs> That's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> I don't know how she got in her apartment, but I'm glad we found out eventually. Shouts out to- You know what? She's like, I mean, the uh, she's the opposite of a vampire. You don't have to invite her in. No. She can just be in anyone's apartment at any time, she's, whenever she wants. If you buy a copy of Oprah magazine, she is legally allowed to enter your home. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, she's like Santa Claus, but always under your chair somehow. Yeah. And talk about how Santa Claus is just easily breaking and entering into millions B&E. of homes every year. Yeah. Well, he's a white man, so. Yeah, how he likes to watch. Oh God! Yeah, it's that is his terrifying. whole character trait. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Oprah won't change me. Um, like it changes the rest of you phonies. Uh, <laughs> I'm always just you know the same same Armando. But yeah, anyway, we'll do this stupid podcast or whatever. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the podcast you got written up for is stupid. Yeah, I guess it's you know whatever. I, You're I should better be, than okay. the podcast. I should be clear. Was... I'm doing a bit, and I love everyone. <laughs> including everyone on the show everyone who listens to the show i love doing the show i love the show but that being said yeah i'm better than the show so okay okay (laughs) anyway unnecessary uh i'm glad we were able to get in a little bit of levity because today is gonna be depressing (laughs) this is gonna be fucking rough yeah i was just talking to um a dear friend of mine oprah and uh gail um actually i was just talking to oprah and gail and you know we were talking about how sad it was and how you know it's just how such sad a, waco was such a trash <laughs> yeah i'm not laughing at waco i'm laughing at the fact that uh, i was remembering a joke that oprah said earlier so i was you know <laughs> Wow. I promise that's the last time You're I do so this bougie. bit. This is it's such not. A dumb bit. It's not. I. I'm not kidding though. I do think it would be pretty hilarious to get tattoos that just says Oprah fucks with us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get into some sources. So first of all, um, Oprah Magazine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard I almost pulled the computer over. <laughs> 
Uh, we we obviously have uh, David Koresh, Mad Men or Messiah, the documentary from 2018. We also, again, have David Thibodeau's book. And additionally, this week, we have the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, and CNN on their reporting from the time of the siege. I'll explain a little bit more why we have multiple sources about that, uh, because at the time, as information was coming out, it wasn't coming out in full. So there are a lot of different reports that include different facts that we kind of have to compare to a bunch of different accounts to try and find the truth in the middle. Uh, which brings me to a few updates from the last episode. So you will remember that we talked about how David Thibodeau's account, the Waco documentary from 2018, uh, their account and a couple other accounts listed Rachel Jones's marriage to David Koresh at a few different dates. I actually found an additional date, but I found something to back it up. So I think this is actually probably our date. So one of the reports from the Chicago Tribune actually listed the marriage in 1984, which is way earlier than any of the other records indicate. And it's way earlier than anyone had said that David had started kind of having relationships with younger women, but it is consistent with her being 14 at the time and consistent with the age of her death, or at least the given age of her death, when she was found or her body was found in the compound, which means that 84 is very likely the date that he took his first underage wife. That puts it five years before the New Light Doctrine. This means that it was a pattern that he had before he even made it part of his theology. Um, so a lot of the women who he had had children with or had taken as additional wives would have been between the years of 1984 and 1989 because most of them were in their early 20s or late teens at the time of the siege in 1993. Oh, God. So... There you go. <laughs> Sorry for all of that information, but it was good to get some conclusive information. Um, now, there are a couple other things that we'll kind of touch on as we go through. That was the biggest one. One of the other ones was uh, we talked about um, Kat Schroeder's husband, Mike, and how the New Light Doctrine, where Kat then had a sexual relationship with David Koresh, um, and how that kind of split their marriage. There wasn't in the sources for that episode too much information about what happened to him after, but this past week I was able to find out exactly what happened. So we'll have a little bit more information on him. He actually did stay within the Branch Davidians, even though he was very upset hmm. about the splitting, but he remained faithful because it was his religion. So we'll go over kind of what happens to him as we go through. So with that said, you may remember that at the end of the last episode, they had sent a plain clothes undercover agent into the Branch Davidians and they basically just preached at him for hours. But he was able to confirm that they had a lot of guns at the compound and he went back to the ATF and the FBI and let them know 
basically how many guns there were, how many people there were. Oh my god, man, they have so many fucking guns. Do you know what they use to stir their coffee? Guns. It's guns! Fucking, <laughs> it's insane. They don't even have salt, they just have bullets. They just have a gun that just says salt, and you shoot it and it makes your food all gross. Yeah, and you'll remember from the, the last episode when we read off that list of guns, I found another few lists that seemed to be consistent with the one that we went through, uh, where there were hundreds of guns on the compound. But, and this will be very important, they're stored in a couple different places and that will impact them during the siege. They put them in the Keurig, they put them in the break room. <laughs> I mean, if you needed to get a new one, you had to go to the office administrator. They had them locked up in one of those like little drawer things, but they had them everywhere else too. It was crazy. <laughs> Just the way that old ladies stored dollar bills. <laughs> Just cut open a mattress that's full of guns. Just reminds me of Terminator 3 where Sarah Connor buried a coffin full of guns. I like the bed because that's the ultimate memory foam mattress. It's the memory foam mattress that never forgives or forgets. Oh my God. Well, it's like the Winchester mystery house where her husband invented the Winchester rifle. And so she just kept building, 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 building rooms so that the ghosts couldn't find her. And I just have to imagine that she, there's guns in all the walls. Like, I don't know what the, the worst part about that is. She could have just kept going and going and going on vacation because the ghosts all so wouldn't have been able to yeah, and she her. had enough money I don't know why she was like I absolutely have to live here but I think it's because the ghost followed her not mm. the house okay, okay you know okay. like paranormal activity if they're following her and she's just like alright I'll fucking be in Maui bitch come find me then and then when you show up I'm going to Puerto Rico <laughs> I mean, I don't think ghosts have to spend the time to travel that we... Like, a ghost isn't getting on a plane. It just appears where it needs to appear. That means that a plane is the safest place to be. Yeah, exactly, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> I think you go, you completely missed my point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure we got it. Plane ride forever, ghost-free life. Yeah. Patent it. <laughs> Fuck your crystals. Fuck your sage. I just want to see Airplanes. the Catch Me If You Can style movie of her <laughs> running across the country. And then Tom Hanks is the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Write this movie. Write this movie, Armand. We were talking about the script projects we're working on. Fuck both of those. Let's write this. <laughs> it's called... Catch me if you can. Whoa. Part boo. <laughs> you guys think what's what's the odds we can get Oprah to be in this? <laughs> Zero. What's the odds we can get a, an, a copy of Oprah magazine to be in this? Oh, a hundred. <laughs> like, or like a cardboard cutout of Oprah, maybe. Starring Oprah's cutout. <laughs> okay. The undercover officer worked with both the ATF and the local authorities, and he told them that if they wanted to have a successful raid, they needed the element of surprise. The only problem with that was that the ATF was so fucking excited to go to the compound and finally raid it and redeem themselves from Ruby Ridge that they actually leaked the information to the media. They wanted the public to be there to catch them doing a successful raid, basically to make them look good. Oh, no. The only problem with that is the media got there half an hour before everyone else did. 
Oh, no. The media is so lame. They always show up to parties hella early and they're like, can I help you set up? And you're like, I have to shower media. They're like a Midwesterner (laughs) in Los Angeles. Who went early to parties because I wanted to be polite. And I didn't realize they start three hours after the start time. Do you know this dummy brings dip to parties? Um, I never change. No. I love dips. Casserole. You're a good... Casserole. 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 It's a hot dish to share, okay? What is this white powder you're sprinkling on everything? Is that parmesan? Oh, my God. It's ranch dip. (laughs) That's what Minnesotans snort. (laughs) Is ranch dip? So they get... It's just the concentrated ranch powder stuff. I love that stuff. <laughs> Never change, you sweet salt of the earth. I'm- salt gun of the earth, people. We're going to the hidden valley of my dreams. <laughs> so a few things happened that morning. One, a member of the media asked for directions and they didn't realize that the person they were asking was a member of the compound. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he went the back way and beat the media to the compound and immediately told David Koresh that they were coming. The only problem with that was the plainclothes officer, the undercover guy, was still there. No! Why wouldn't he? Why? Because he didn't, he knew it was happening. He was supposed to leave and then have them come in and part of the element of surprise was that he had been there yeah so he was in that window of like he was supposed to be leaving he was also supposed to help from the inside to get people out but now the branch davidians knew it was happening and his life believe it or not is in imminent danger he knows they have guns he they know he is an undercover agent at this point and he basically turned to david and david said you should go. And they let him go. Yikes. N- knowing that he was going to basically leave and come back with the raid. Oh, they let him go. Fuck. And he actually feels like he's in the documentary and you can tell he feels terrible. Like yeah. he he feels in some way responsible, which is a big bummer because it's not his fault. Um, so he immediately goes back to the authorities, to the ATF and the local authorities. And he's like, hey, cover is blown raid shouldn't happen basically cut it off let's not do it it was by the way it was all it was called operation trojan horse or operation showtime oh god someone come on they're so hole. obvious someone yeah. poked holes in those condoms and all those stories baby <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to get them to call off the raid because there's no element of surprise and he says it'll be deadly if the raid proceeded and they say no. See, the element of surprise is really re- important. Ah! Oh, my God. The element of surprise. <laughs> I don't like this. That was genuine. <laughs> I know. I got to watch I it. I don't like it. You get to see the element of surprise. In- <laughs> I was going to say the element of surprise is important for raids and also relationships. But now I'm second guessing that. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, like I was saying, will you marry me? <laughs> We can talk about this later. (laughs) It's not a no. (laughs) Not a no. So they don't have the element of surprise anymore. So they decide to kick off the raid with the stealthiest option they have. Low flying helicopters. (laughs) 
my fucking god. Okay, guys, here's what we need for stealth. Something that's so noisy you can hear it from several miles away. <laughs> We're gonna be stealthy. I'm gonna need 14 mariachi bands, <laughs> fireworks, and a loud dog that is incontinent and shitting everywhere. Everyone put on your tap shoes. <laughs> a low-flying helicopter is the perfect stealthy vehicle. The only people who hear us are people who have to work in the morning, people recording a podcast, and 80% of Los Angeles constantly. We need all the didgeridoos we can find. Upon hearing the helicopters, David Koresh instructed everyone to return to their rooms so that he could leave and talk to the agents, which seems like a pretty reasonable plan. Uh, Kat Schroeder awoke to the sounds of gunshots and yelps from their dogs as the ATF agents circled the building. So essentially, the helicopters went... They got there. Before Koresh could even get outside to talk to them, they circled the building and shot their dogs one by one. And there is video evidence of it. Fuck. Why do they hate dogs so much? It's because the dogs would have alerted people to them being there or attacked them as they approached. But also, the gunshots are going to alert the people that you're there. I think they're going to hear us. Just shoot the dogs. There. Now they'll never see us coming. Yes, exactly. Well, this... This happened in Ruby Ridge, too, right? Yeah. Where they yes, shot the did. dog. But it, it's not just about, like, the dogs barking. It's also because they're like, we don't know if the dog's going to attack us. We don't want to deal with it. We're trying to shoot these people. So Gary, lay down some suppressoring didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that chimed just a second ago, Jake can hear us in the other room. And he just texted me, Australian boy band, the didgeridoos. <laughs> Great pull, Jake. Great pull. So, and again, like I said, there is actual video of them shooting the dogs, which is extremely upsetting. And it's one of those things where it's not a rumor. It's not something a conspiracy theorist is telling you. They they came in and shot the dogs first. It is really upsetting. Is this like part of, I assume it has to be part of some type of like police training or raid training because this seems to happen all the time. I have heard of this as a practice in drug raids. Okay. Yeah, in in drug raids, it's it's usually because people who sell drugs often have attack dogs. So. Okay. Yeah. So I I, mm-hmm. I guess it's it's got to be a similar idea. Like I guess you're right in that they probably just think maybe they're gonna attack. I don't know. I it's think- a mixture of your of both. I think. I th- yeah. I think for police, a dog is an unknown entity they don't know if it's a good dog or a bad dog and it's easier for them to just kill it than to ascertain or bring in animal control or whatever so it's really just easier i don't know if it's well the problem is is that when you become a police officer they only show you the second act of old yeller and you're like oh man all dogs are evil (laughs) oh no um i i think it's actually so here's why i think police do it in the time it would take you to determine whether or not a dog is a threat or not, that dog will either have A, attacked you, or B, you could have been shot by the human standing behind the dog. Right. So it's just for for your own safety and for ease, you just kill an animal. Yeah, and which is a huge bummer and super sad. And in part, I think it's happening here because 
the theory they had about the Davidians at the time is that there's some like armed to the teeth crazy people. Right. Which we know that David Koresh is bad. And this is going to be a really rough thing to kind of grapple with in this episode where it is possible and I would say accurate to say that both David Koresh and the FBI are wrong. Yeah. And the people in the middle are the people who suffer. And so David Koresh has really kind of whipped this group up into a doomsday frenzy. And the FBI believes them to be incredibly dangerous because of the arms that they have. And so they're treating them as that level of dangerous at this point. I think a good way to sum it up is that David Koresh needed to be stopped but this was not the right way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because the smart yeah. way would have been to isolate him when he's traveling or, you know, when he's going to the gun shows, you right. know, even yes. even to do that, not to go in. They, they did it in such a showy fashion because like Paige said, they needed the win. They needed a very public win. That's why they did it yeah. this way. And it, it blew up all over their faces and all over the compound i mean i that's a joke that i started before i realized how fucking dark it is but it's true i mean that's you know it's fucking it's it it, it needed to end this was not the way to do it right so some of the adults began calling out through the windows and the doors to let them know that there were women and children in the buildings and they claim that those warnings were completely ignored we don't know if the atf couldn't hear them over the helicopters or if they just choose to completely ignore it. Um, there are some accounts from later on that suggest that maybe they just ignored them. As the siege goes on, there are some differing beliefs within the FBI, and we'll kind of cover it a little bit more as we get to it. Um, but there are some differing beliefs about the children between different factions of the FBI. There are a few different stories about what happened next. Some say the ATF fired without warning. Some say the Davidians fired, but there's no absolute proof. The prevailing theory, and the one that is most widely accepted, is that the ATF had marshaled a large force from local authorities and really anyone within their organization that was still eager to join a siege after Ruby Ridge. And some of these people were not adequately trained for the equipment that they were handed that day. And it is possible, and many of the stories from that day indicate, that a gun was discharged accidentally, which prompted the start of the siege. And then all hell broke loose. The ATF fired on the building, and before they knew it, bullets were flying through the walls. They were basically faced with an army. Some of the adults tried to warn the agents of the presence of children, and they were shot almost immediately. Perry Jones, part of David's inner circle, was shot and bleeding out on the floor. One of the most disturbing accounts in the documentary is interviews with people who are now adults but were children at the time of the raid describing waking up to bullets flying through their pillows oh my God. and through their walls. Because the thing about this building is the Branch Davidians built it themselves and many of these buildings were built in part out of repurposed double-wide trailers which don't have very thick walls and bullets went immediately through them. Judy Schneider, uh, you might remember her from last week. She and her husband, Stephen, had been trying to conceive. She hadn't been able to have a baby, and then she slept with David Koresh and immediately conceived and had a baby. 
Um, and they kind of stayed together, even though they were raising David Koresh's baby. So she was shot through the hand and the bullet traveled up her arm. She would be unable to reach medical attention for the duration of the siege. Oh, my God. She and her husband were the ones with Koresh's baby, and that baby features prominently in the videos sent from the compound, videos that her husband filmed because he was the one filming most of the footage from inside during the siege. The ATF broke out one of the windows of the compound and four agents climbed inside. They were shot on sight by Branch Davidians, fearing that the agents would murder them because they have already been fired upon. So they shot in, I would say, self-defense. Yeah. And they were able to pull the bodies out of the compound. Wayne Martin, one of the Branch Davidians, called 911 from inside the compound. The 911 operator, because it's a small town, knew Wayne. Wayne told them that there were women and children in the compound and that they were under fire. They actually, in the documentary, play his 911 call and you can hear the gunshots in the background. So you can hear him being fired at. So to reiterate, a man called 911 to warn them that women or children were being shot at and the ATF shot at him directly as he was doing it. He then passed the phone to David Koresh. And instead of giving information to help, David Koresh starts preaching to the 911 operator about the seventh seal. Not the fucking time, David. Not the time. Hey, Daniel, while I have you here, can I tell you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's um, our Lord and Savior, me, is (laughs) what he's he's pulling that shit. Here's this is going to happen again and fucking again. And it makes me so furious where, yes, the FBI is doing horrible shit, the ATF is doing horrible shit, and Koresh has a chance to end it and just be like, hey, we're sorry, can you stop shooting? We'll talk this out. And instead, he fucking preaches at people to quote-unquote get his message out. It drives me fucking nuts. Like, it's... There, there are much more direct ways in which he is responsible for death in this scenario, but for me, this is one of them. Like, this is an early 911 call where he could have communicated valuable information, and instead he wastes everyone's damn time preaching about himself. Fucking asshole. Yeah, this is like if somebody broke into our house and Andrea and I were hiding underneath the bed, and I was like, hey, so there's somebody inside the house, but um, have you been reading Oprah Magazine at all lately? <laughs> Yes. So David is actually shot during the raid, but he survives with the emergency health care they have in the compound at the time. Basically, they bandage him up. But there's videos from later in the raid where his wounds have just are not healing. He would have eventually died of sepsis for sure. Where did he get shot? In the side. Ooh, like the side of the like the tummy area, the side of the tummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite low enough to be hip. It's tummy. So it it hit like all fat, but it's just not healing properly. Yeah, fuck. And he's he's in a lot of pain. You can kind of tell, but he can still walk around and shit. But not for a long time and not super often and he has probably the least of the injuries i would say of that day yikes they fired on the compound for two and a half hours after those two and a half hours the atf had four dead agents and 15 injured ones they didn't have any count on the members of the compound at the time 
but given that nearly half were women and children who were either sleeping or having breakfast at the time, it's likely that the number of injured members was higher. The official death count during the initial raid is six. That's just the first day. The ATF calls ambulances for their fallen agents, but not for the Davidians. Some of them survive. They're in the documentary. Some of the ATF agents survive the injured ones. Um, they patch a direct line through to the compound and they start talking to David Koresh. And this is where we get a lot of information is through these interview calls that they have taped uh, with the negotiators and David Koresh and also other members of the Branch Davidians because sometimes they would call and ask to talk to other people. So we have interviews from a number of people within the compound during this time. But the problem is, this is what David Koresh had been preparing the group for. This is what they expected of the government. Remember that Ruby Ridge had happened a few months previous, and David Koresh was in the gun show circuit. So he heard that version of the story. He heard about the government coming in and slaughtering children with no warning. And this is what he prepared his group for. Perry Jones, who I mentioned got shot a little bit earlier, they pulled him into one of the rooms of the compound. He was screaming and crying, and some reports say that he requested a gun. Those same reports say that he took his own life with a pistol. A handful of reports say that other members shot him as a mercy killing because his injuries were so extensive and painful. He's one of the six from that day. He was hit initially by a bullet that came through one of the doors. He was not armed at the time. Ah. So Kathy Jones, who we briefly covered last time, who I believe is actually Perry Jones's brother, there's they're kind of part of a large extended family that's all part of the compound. So there's a few different family units that are connected. Um, but Kathy Jones, she was the one who left because she didn't want to have sex with David Koresh and she thought that he was going to basically come after her. She's the one that left in the middle of the night and had to abandon her husband and children. Yeah. Yes, ah. she would leave her children at the compound. Fuck, man. So by this time, after leaving her children at the compound and fleeing, she found out about the raid on the news. Oh, my God. And she God. had to watch as the FBA fired hundreds of rounds into the walls of her children's bedrooms. Oh, my God. Mike Schroeder, who I mentioned a little bit at the beginning, who was married to Kat Schroeder, had remained within the group, but he was working at a local garage that they ran to make money, and he was trying to get back. The ATF claimed that he and two other Davidians shot at ATF agents, but they were supposedly unarmed, and the evidence at the crime scenes is inconsistent with that narrative. They were shot multiple times, in the back, in the side, and then execution style point blank in the head. And there are also stories of the ATF leaving bodies from the siege out to rot because the Davidians couldn't get to them without being shot. And either the ATF didn't care or they feared they'd be shot themselves by trying to remove them. So the bodies sat for a few days. Oh, God, that's such yes. a horrible you know, that's such a horrible hell to see yeah. your, the people that you love shot and then just watch their bodies rot. Well, right. it's, it's, it's not as, I'm going to say it's not as 
technically grotesque but it, it kind of invokes this like um that medieval like enemy spikes on the heads outside your castle type shit like that's yeah. what it feels like you know it's it, it's i i get that you your point of like um and i know this isn't your point it was literally their reasoning being like it's either a too dangerous or b they don't give a fuck but like it's just the uh, the disregard yeah. for the sanctity of a person the the more the siege goes, the more that I think they left them there on purpose Fuck. as a message. Yeah. Um, now, everyone inside the compound at this point is worried that David would die because he had been shot. And realistically, from a health standpoint, I am A, surprised that he lived as long as he did. Uh, and B, without medical intervention, I don't think he would have lived too much longer after. I do think he would have probably died of sepsis. Um, but he did live the entire 51 days. So the ATF declares the airspace above the compound a no-fly zone, and they begin cutting power lines and telephone lines to cut off communication to the outside world. Within the compound, that night, children were tasked with loading bullets into guns, but these were some of the last weapons they had left. They were trapped in the main building while the ATF and FBI seized their armory. That's how we got the list that we had last time. So remember as we go through that for the rest of the siege, we're dealing with a few dozen adults and around 20 to 30 children who are largely unarmed or out of ammunition. And thus ended the first day of the siege. My God. At this point, much like what happened in Ruby Ridge, the FBI sent in a negotiator. And Koresh basically preaches at the negotiator for days. And days and days and days. But on day two, he does agree to start sending children out of the compound as long as they're not his children. So he's willing to send other people's children out, but not his personal ones. Yeah, so they send children out in groups of two. There's about 17 children that leave the compound at that on that day. And they take them to like a local children's home. The only problem with that is that these are children who were raised eating extremely healthy, largely vegetarian diets. They never had soda. They never had candy. They never had anything like that. They largely worked instead of played. They took them to a children's facility and basically gave them candy and soda all day long and then videotaped it and sent those videotapes back to their parents. What the fuck? In the compound. To basically, they were hoping to get the parents to be like, don't you miss your children? Don't you want to come back out? And instead, what they did was wildly offend their parents. Yeah. Because Jesus. they took no time to like understand the davidian beliefs or anything so now basically these parents just have videos of essentially what they believe is their children just being wildly corrupted by the outside world i mean they're not wrong sugar's bad for you and i'm sure those children's behavior you know you can sugar can fuck a kid up man they could have i mean i'm surprised they didn't get sick honestly and they probably did i'm sure that's not in the video but yeah, yeah. also like ruby ridge they sent in sniper teams, basically the same counter-terrorist team. And that team posted up about 300 meters away from the main building, constantly watching, looking for their shot to try and take Koresh out if they were ordered to. 
I mean, how do you even tell it's Koresh? The stink lines, probably. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> they spell out his name. He's the one yelling? <laughs> now, the next day, David tried to bargain to end the siege once they played a tape of his message on the Christian Broadcasting Network. Which, to me, I'm like, dude, bro, fuck your message. Like, clearly, this is not the fucking time. These people are outside with guns. And the frustrating thing is he had emphasized this doctrine to the point where people really believed that they were going to be martyrs and that was their duty to God to do so. So they actually agree to play this tape. At 1.30 p.m. on the third day of the siege, they played a tape with his message recorded by him. 5 p.m. that same night, he talks to the negotiator and says, they're not coming out. They're going to wait until God tells them they should come out. You're God. Yeah, exactly. Now, at this point, a biblical scholar, Dr. Phil Arnold, who specialized in apocalyptic sects, offers his services to the head FBI spokesman, a guy named Bob Ricks, and they refuse his help. But this doctor is basically like, hey, I know the passages of Revelations they're talking about. These people are not going to come out willingly. I am willing to help you kind of decipher what they believe so we can try and get them out. And they were like, nah, fuck it. The fuck? Like what they the have an expert these people? willing to help. As this is happening, during the interviews with David Koresh, David Koresh claims that they're in the fifth seal. Now, this scholar hears this and he knows that the fifth seal includes the people of God asking for vengeance against the evil forces of the world, essentially martyrs inflicting karma on their tormentors. And he knows that this passage says that they have to wait for this until the rest of the brethren are killed. This refers to, in most circles, people believe this refers to the remnant of Christians on earth. So the scholar hearing this takes this to believe, he basically takes this to mean that more people are going to die within the compound unless they do something. And the FBI still doesn't want to hear about it, just completely ignores it. The media circus around the siege brings all the anti-government people to the yard, uh, particularly white supremacist militias who had spun Ruby Ridge into a rallying cry for their organizations. Literally all of the white supremacist heavy hitters were there in the kind of media hill. There was like a portion of the compound where all the media was, including, and they have this on video, Timothy McVeigh. What? Who two years later would become the Oklahoma City bomber. There's footage of him there. There's footage of the KKK. There's footage of the Aryan Nations. Here's a little fun fact for you. Something that I, I do happen to know is that Timothy McVeigh was uh, kind of involved in the gun show circuit um in a in a way that's different from a lot of these other groups because he was selling like tchotchkes like little like souvenirs so timothy mcveigh was at the waco siege selling his little fucking bumper stickers basically like he was like i'm just gonna show up there's gonna be great business and i'm gonna sell a bunch of bumper stickers he was like this is gonna be great for business <laughs> And he's not the only one. 
There are also hella right. Sold a ton of bumper stickers. A ton of people selling merch at the raid. Yeah. This feels like the Marvel universe of white supremacy. Where like you're watching one show and then like this character's in, and you're like, oh my Mm -hmm. god, it's super racist, man. That's the that's the bit that uh that we were doing at the beginning. That's what that's what it is. Is Ruby Ridge is the introduction to some of these characters. We've seen other ones in the past. It's white supremacy is truly like a, an extended universe of just hate and smelly people. And it all happens at gun shows. <laughs> well, if you want to think of all of our previous white supremacy shows and episodes as the Marvel extended universe, Ruby Ridge is the first Avengers. Uh, Waco is Infinity War. And then the thing that we're covering uh, over the next two episodes is Endgame. Ooh. Except it's not the end. Yeah. Oh god. Because they're still around. Intrigue games. Yeah. yeah fucking. The, if there's two things that stuck around from this episode, it's uh, terrible white supremacists and police brutality. Yeah. Yikes. Now, because no one could talk to the people inside the compound except for the FBI, the public and the media was only getting the FBI's version of events, which skewed heavily against the Branch Davidians. In response, the Branch Davidians hung banners outside their window saying, God help us, we need the press. Essentially, they wanted to get the word out that it was mostly women and children in there and that they were being attacked. But also, Koresh kind of wanted a little bit of that fame, and that's going to be a little bit clearer as we go. But he wanted this as a chance to get his message out. He saw it as like his 15 minutes. Jesus. It's real fucked up. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, they hung these banners out, and they were mocked for it by press outlets. There's actually a video of a news anchor team at the time saying, God help us, we are the press. And it's the fucking dumbest thing I've ever seen, but also wildly offensive. And it's in every Waco documentary. Yeah, that seems like a fucking, like an NPR joke, almost. It's so terrible. Now, the negotiating team send tapes of themselves talking about themselves and their family and who they are into the compound. And they do this so that they can get tapes of who's in the compound in return. And David Koresh and Steven Schneider tape those tapes. So they send tapes of David Koresh and his family, all of his children from all of his multiple wives, essentially introducing the children, showing, you know, having people talk. And the tapes are featured heavily in pretty much all documentaries after a certain point. So it shows David Koresh's injuries, but it also shows that largely the children and wives who appear in these videos are healthy and not abused. They're in clean clothes. They've clearly been eating. They're not bruised or injured with the exception of gunshot injuries from the siege. In the video... All of the adults that they interview say that no one is holding them there against the will, their will except for the FBI, but that instead they have chosen to stay because they believe it is God's will and not man's will. And this is difficult because they are adults and they definitely have the ability to make that choice. People shouldn't make it for them, but they are also being manipulated by David Koresh. And so it is a rock and a hard place where, like you said, Koresh needs to be stopped but the FBI is handling it terribly yeah. at this point. And no one wants to... I mean, f- think about if you tried to willingly leave 
you would be exiting the compound, which are the only people who have shown any interest in trying to keep you safe. Right. And just hoping against all hope that they don't just shoot you like you're a fucking dog because they think that yes. maybe something might be up right. too. This is the same with Ruby Ridge. Like, you're not going to go out and try and talk to these people if they're going to literally shoot you the way they shot everybody yeah. else. Right. Right. Yeah. These tapes are extensive. They show a lot of the inside of the compound and they paint a pretty positive picture of the people inside. I mean, now, granted, we also know the bad things that were going on. Right. But at the time, it shows a lot of people saying, hey, we're OK. Can you please stop? Yeah. Basically. And those tapes were not released publicly at the time because the FBI feared that it would hurt their case by humanizing the Branch Davidians. Well, I mean, it wouldn't just humanize them. It would be like, hey, they would have evidence of them going like, hey, we're pretty fine. Our biggest problem seems to be you assholes shooting at me and my mom and dad. Can you please fucking stop? Yeah. Yeah. And I will remind you again, they're in the main building. They can't leave that building without being shot. Their guns are in another part of the compound and they have already been seized. So they aren't even that well armed. They're just kind of sitting there eating MREs, hoping for this to end. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? They're no longer dangerous, I would say, at this point. Yeah, they're just fucking, they're sad, and the and the, the, the police is sending them videos of their kids eating fun dip, and they're like, ah, son of a bitch! Yeah, yeah. That's not kosher! <laughs> like, it's, yes. No, it's kosher fun dip. It's thicker and more coarse, but it's very good. And for some reason, the <laughs> dipper is a pickle. <laughs> this is right around the end of the first week or so of the siege. So the few people that had been fatally shot have either now bled out or been shot by other members as mercy killings. Oh, my God. Their bodies are still inside. There are some bodies still outside. And they are basically just kind of sitting and waiting it out with David. Some of the older children, the ones that hadn't already been released on the second day, packed their belongings to leave and left the next morning with their hands up. So this is according to Heather Burson, who is Kathy Jones's daughter. She was one of those children to leave on, I believe it's day 10. The FBI loaded her into a tank and then shredded the teddy bears she had <gasps> with her because they feared that they were bombs. Oh my God. Don't put it in a shredder. That's still a what? They, I don't think it was like a paper shred. I think they just like ripped them okay, apart. Okay, yeah, I'm but, sorry. I was yeah. just so angry. I got the vision of them putting it into like a fucking office shred. Like Pam from the office is like, want to see something cool? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to ruin that shredder. Um, <laughs> they didn't allow her to see her mother. Her mother had been out of the group for a considerable amount of time. She was the one who left and left willingly. But at the time, the state refused to grant her custody of her own daughter without cult deprogramming, which is highly controversial and is usually only used on people who haven't left a cult yet. Like, she's out. She left. And they're like, we don't trust you. So her daughter was actually placed into the system. They wouldn't have contact for almost another year after. Oh, my God. That's so incredibly traumatic. And in that time, they would then use Heather to talk to her father inside the compound, where they would put her on the phone to get to her dad. How do you even, how, how the fuck do you do this and, and 
and still in your mind see yourself as the hero. Like, I, I, I. Yeah. It's on tape, too, by the way. There are tapes of it. She was the last child to be willingly released from the compound. Koresh at that point claimed that his personal children were different because they were the elders that his prophecy had foretold. The FBI believes that he's using these children as a shield, which is not entirely wrong. But they basically believe that he's keeping them around so that they won't come in and hurt him because they don't want to hurt the children. And I would say that that's probably partially true. But the other thing that we know about it is that his personal children are part of his personal prophecy. So in order to keep that prophecy up, he has to keep them, which is the fucked up part. At this point, the FBI sends in the army. Like they literally assembled armed forces. They bring in tanks. They bring in soldiers. And this is a big fucking deal because these are American citizens and they have not even really done anything wrong. I mean, they've got, you know, illegal arms dealing, but that's a felony at best. The only time you can exercise the armed forces of the United States against your own citizens are in cases of like terrorism or civil war. But these people don't even really have guns anymore because we've already seized them. So we've basically sent the military after a bunch of women and children at this point. And, you know, in part, the FBI doesn't officially know that. They've seized all their guns, but they don't know how many guns are in the actual compound. But nobody's firing. Nobody's shooting And they've had people close by the compound because they do have negotiators sending them things and they have a phone call. And so they kind of know what's going on inside the compound, but they still treat them as if they have that full stockpile of guns. All they had at this point were MREs, which is the military ration meals or or meals ready to eat. I think is what it stands for. The gross powdery spaghetti. So disgusting. (laughs) It's so fucking bad. They have no electricity. They have no phone lines. Nothing. They had to collect rainwater because they didn't have running water and they had to use the restroom in buckets because no running water. We th- we were complaining about outhouses last week. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, to be fair, an outhouse is just a fancy bucket. It's a bucket in the ground that's away from your house. It's a bucket in a <laughs> with a seat attached to it and a fancy door that Shrek breaks open at the beginning of the movie. You guys haven't seen Shrek. I have. It's I have. Just it's been, been a while. You guys haven't yeah. seen Shrek recently enough. He fucking slams the outhouse door open, scratches his ass, and then fucking, uh, and then Smash Mouth plays. (laughs) Sounds like a typical Tuesday. (laughs) Um, Now, the other thing that they're dealing with is that the FBI is sending them things like, you know, a phone or like a carton of milk, and everything the FBI sends them has a recording device in it. They've bugged everything. Everything they give them has bugs in it. So they're having to cut these recording devices out of everything they receive from the FBI. 
because they're just trying to get more information and tape the inside of the compound. Some of those they didn't catch, so we do have some minor recordings, but it's not a lot. I just, I, I'd like to imagine that, I know this happened in the 90s, so technology wasn't like super far behind where it is now, but I like to mm. imagine that they just like, here's your milk, and it's just a microphone duct taped to a gallon of milk. They, they showed like an example, like a, like a, you know when they do those like re- reenactments or whatever they did kind of that in the documentary where they show them cutting a bug out of like a milk carton and i'm like that's so obvious (laughs) like this this is the most obvious one i've ever seen well their Uh, main problem was that they called it buggy mick recording your conversations milk farm yeah (laughs) that was the brand They're all those like big military walkie talkies from the 60s. <laughs> just filled with milk. <laughs> just duct <laughs> taped to the milk garden. At this point, the tactical team outside starts shining giant lights on them all night to interrupt their sleep patterns yeah. or to disco. Well, Maybe. Just, just you, kidding. Just kidding. Maybe they thought they could tire them out by just having an all-night rager. We sent them some Molly. We put some microphones in that, too, but we sent them. <laughs> <laughs> they set up speakers, and they would play the sounds of roosters crowing, ticking clocks, super loud, uh, but also the sounds of pigs and rabbit rabbits being slaughtered yeah what the fuck this is this is like an actual strategy that people use constantly i mean a part of it is what they do for people in solitary confinement is taking away the line between day and night which kind of makes you slowly lose your mind but also they're sleep depriving them and playing things that give you a primal like things being slaughtered will give you and your body a a, a primal sense or or emotion or a response. Yeah, but they're also, I mean, the stress is creating human beings that do not have reasoning capacity. And, you know, like, if I don't sleep for a day, I can barely make a sentence. Like, I can't reason. I am just only reacting. So what they're essentially doing is they're, instead of creating individuals that they can reason with, they're creating individuals that are more afraid and more unpredictable. Well, they're also, I think that, I think the goal is that they're trying to create people who will slip up easier. I think that's what Uh. they want. But worst of all, they also played... Nancy Sinatra as these boots are made for walking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one that one helps the disco theory. Not necessarily yeah. disco, but dance party. It, it does. And I will remind you that there are like 20 or so children still inside. So it's not just the adults. Like these kids aren't sleeping. The kids are constantly having to listen to like rabbits being slaughtered. And Nancy Sinatra. And Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking. No! Like peak volume all night long. How come Ricky got to eat candy? Oh, why do I have to be the elder? (laughs) Yikes. In addition to that, tanks started moving through the compound, kind of uh, assembling piles of debris, making rounds around the compound, and tanks are not easily maneuvered, so they were constantly accidentally just taking out walls of the compound. So, like, one of the survivors actually mentions that he was laying in bed and a tank ran over his pillow, just like through the wall, woke him up, like, what the... F- and then the wall was just gone. 
he had to get a new room. <laughs> yeah, they're they're yeah. also not. I mean, um, the amount of psychological terror that you would see or that you would feel rather if you saw a tank in the middle of a standoff. Like if your enemy, if your enemy had a tank, I feel like there's no way you're like, oh, this ends well for me. This is a thing I can walk away from. Well, I think this thing happens and we see it happen over and over again with police and FBI is that the militarization of the police force instead of creating people that you can reason with they essentially put everyone on, on guard and on the defensive right away and their justification is like oh we have to do this to protect ourselves but the truth is they're the ones sort of escalating the violence yeah. by bringing these tanks in and by bringing all these weapons to a place where people were not prepared for that yeah you know? also mm -hmm. i'm just gonna say it it sounds like they fucking hate pillows they're shooting them they're running them over <laughs> shooting them they're just... running them over with tanks in fact a lot of their stuff seems to be based around not letting them sleep do they just hate pillows i think so mm -hmm. yeah it's the only thing that makes sense mm. now all the while all this is happening they're still talking to david koresh and he would just taunt and mock them saying that god would settle the score there's a recording of him being like with your little helicopters and i'm just like dude not the time this is when keeping it real goes wrong like, stop it <laughs> he's 20 stop it he's 20 points behind and he's like well god's gonna make it right with your little fucking buckets Ooh, <laughs> ooh. this is not a roast <laughs> yeah i don't dunk buckets i shit in them i'm david koresh <laughs> now the tactical team the one that is keeping them up all night kept that from the negotiation team who would only be there during the day so they didn't find out until they talked to the Branch Davidians and they were just like, dude, can you get them to stop playing the music so we can sleep? And they're like, what music? And they're ha basically it had been kept from them. What so the, the FBI fuck? is not even communicating to each other. And it starts to hurt the negotiator's case because they're not all on the same page. And so the Branch Davidians don't trust them as much because they didn't know about everything that was going on. They didn't know that they were essentially being tortured at night. How are they supposed to enact any sort of change or make any sort of deal with people that can't even control the noises that are happening in the night from their own team? Well, it sounds like, and again, we're not, the three of us are not experts in this. Out of all of us, Paige is, is the expert. She's read the most. She's done the most research. She is, she is the most knowledgeable. But what it sounds like to me is it sounds like that they're trying to create a situation in where they finally do fight back and so that they can say this was all justified like it seems like they're trying to push them to the to the brink of actually fighting back so that that way they're like ah see they were going to do it all along it was just a matter of time yeah i would say that is accurate because there are interviews in the documentary from some of the tactical team that are like yeah we wanted to just go in there and shoot people mm -hmm. because like they shot our four friends yeah and it's like they shot your four friends because you fired into their house. Like, what the fuck? How, like, how do you not see the connection there? Um, there's actually another story from one of the Davidians inside that said that the ATF and FBI agents were often seen giving them the finger and mooning them. What the From fuck? the tanks and from their, like outcroppings yeah i'm mad about that just because of how little creativity they put into it <laughs> well david got a little more creative because remember they had a rec recording studio and a sound system and so when they would play nancy sinatra 
he would play live and play his own music oh back at the which like he's he's a terrible person. I don't like him except for this one thing where I'm just like that's fucking hilarious. So you're t- you win. You're telling me that David Koresh had a battle of the bands with the FBI. <laughs> I am telling you that. Yes. Who won though? Nancy Sinatra it sounds like. Yeah. C'est bot sans fait pour marcher. Yeah, because Nancy Sinatra, ironically, is the only one who wasn't shot down by their baby. Oh, my God. Well, oh, actually, I mean, did you know about that other song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like, but she was, though. She's, uh, that's, bang, that's the irony bang. in it. She shot me down. Bang, bang. So... David's in a battle of the bands with the FBI. Yikes. (laughs) And the negotiators start to get kind of pissed because all of this battling back and forth over their sleep time is actually bringing the Davidians together as a united front when the FBI is not, which makes it a lot less likely for the Davidians to give up and come out. So the second week of the siege passes. Now, Cat Schroeder, currently inside the compound, whose children are outside the compound, finds out that her children have been split up by the state. Her oldest children were given to her ex, their father, and her youngest was placed in the system alone. Why? Because it was her son with Mike, not her ex-husband, and Mike is dead. So she got permission from David to leave to retrieve her son from the system, which I can totally understand. You know, they let her see her son, but then they removed him from her care until she agreed to be a witness. And even after she agreed, she didn't see her son again for a year, during which time she was kept in custody and had to watch the compound burn on television. And I will remind you, she didn't break any laws. She is essentially a victim, if you want to, like, think about it. Yeah. Where she didn't shoot anybody. She was, you know, if they're treating this as a hostage situation, she's a captive. Yeah, she's a hostage. Yeah. And th- th- this is a battle between fucking Koresh and the FBI. Like, these people are just innocent bystanders. And she was basically incarcerated. She wasn't allowed to see her son for another year. So fucked up. It's real fucked up. So the FBI then concentrates their efforts on Steve Schneider to try and get him to lead people out and to leave Koresh alone in the compound. So they started focusing on Steve's relationship with his wife, who had had Koresh's baby, which is a bit of a sore point, obviously. But Steve doesn't budge. What they do do is the people inside the compound send a man named Livingston Fagan out to the FBI to help negotiate. And the plan that they had kind of arranged was that he would go to the FBI and be kind of a talking, you know, point between the compound and the FBI, that he'd be able to relay their messages and he would be able to kind of explain where the compound was coming from to him. But that's not what happened. He was immediately arrested and detained and he was not allowed to talk to anyone inside the compound where his wife and his mother were still in it is worth noting that he was black 
and that he was given some of the worst treatment of any of the survivors to come out of the compound. He was also a British citizen. So the fact that they detained him instead of extraditing him was pretty illegal also. They asked him to make a tape arguing for everyone in the compound to come out. And he refused because he was like, no, 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 that's not what this is. I'm not here to just be your propaganda. I want to talk to the people in the compound and then we'll talk to you. We'll find a peaceful resolution. I'm not just going to make a tape telling them to come out. And when he refused to make the tape, they put him in jail. What the fuck? Yeah. He watched the compound burn with his family inside from jail. And again, these people are victims. They didn't break any laws. They are essentially hostages that have been freed if you want to, like, if we're treating this the way the FBI claims they're treating it, which is as a hostage negotiation, he's a hostage and they're putting him in prison. It's majorly fucked up. And this is how the first month of the siege ended. Now, after that first month, Dr. Phil Arnold, you might remember him from before, he's the one who offered the FBI his expertise on like, hey, I can tell you about their religious beliefs. I can help you understand. And they refused. How much does he look like uh, Dr. Phil from Dr. Phil? Not at all. Ooh, good for First of all, good for him because that guy looks yeah. like shit. No, he looks way better than Dr. Phil for oh. sure. But second of all, I'm going to imagine that it is Dr. Phil this whole time. <laughs> so Dr. Phil Arnold and his one of his colleagues, Dr. James Tabor, reached out to a local radio station that they knew the Branch Davidians listened to. They figured that by appearing on this radio station, they could talk directly to David Koresh without having to go through the FBI. On that radio program, they actually suggest that David Koresh write a book about the Seventh Seals to get his message out. They believed, and rightfully so, that a lot of the reason that David was holding them in the compound was because he wanted his message to get out. And if they could find a way for him to get his message out, even if it's not well received, he might let everybody go. And I think this is kind of a brilliant plan. Yeah. I think they were on the right track because the next day, Koresh latches on to this and talks to the negotiators and says when his book is finished, they'll come out. But he wants his first draft of his book sent to Dr. Arnold and Dr. Tabor. That's part of the negotiation. And Dr. Arnold and Dr. Tabor basically are like, yes, send us the book as soon as it's done. You know, keep us posted on like what's happening. Send us drafts as you go. We're all in on helping you finish this book and getting your info out, and then we can get everyone out of this compound. Post stay tuned on Facebook a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never finish anything. That's what the FBI thought was going to happen. Instead, David Koresh sent them a pilot script for a sitcom. That sitcom would be The King New of Girl. Queens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now they communicate with the negotiators to say that they are actively working on the book and that David Koresh is dictating it to Judy Schneider, who is typing one-handed, because remember, she got shot in the oh other one. Oh, my what God. Choose someone else to type. Well, and then her husband, Steve Schneider, is proofreading after as they're working. <laughs> and so... Cindy, 
<laughs> it seems like half the letters are missing. So I see here it's it starts out with your message, but then you just typed, ow, my hand, my hand, my God, <laughs> my hand, please help, over and over again. Honestly, pretty good book. Yeah. Well, they're communicating with the negotiators, and they tell them that they're in the middle of working on the second seal, that the first seal is complete, that they're on seal number two. And it's only been a few days. So that is good. And things were progressing. And it seemed like maybe this was going to work. And then day 50 happened. Now remember, there's a disconnect between the tactical team for the FBI and the negotiating team for the FBI. The negotiation team is all on, all in on the book. They're like, if he's going to actually let them out when this book is done which we think is probably going to happen because this is a platform for him to get his message out, then let's wait. Like, we'll give them food, whatever. We'll back off, let them finish the book, get them out. It'll be fine. The tactical team was not having it. So the tactical team goes to Attorney General Janet Reno, who is also pissed about the siege because it looks fucking terrible it's only been a couple months after ruby ridge and things are as bad if not worse and it's hemorrhaging money this thing is a huge stain on america and she wants it gone so in their meeting they do not tell her about the plan for the branch davidians to surrender they leave it out completely they also give her false information about the children's well-being they don't show her the tapes They tell her that the children are in imminent danger. So she authorizes the FBI to move in with lethal force. And again, this is a case of the military versus civilians. They classify them as terrorists, which is why they're able to arrest people as they come out. So the negotiators come back. They had left because they're like, yeah, just let us know when they're done with the book. We'll come back. They get called back, but they were almost too late They actually call the compound to warn them that the tactical team is going to move on them. There are recordings of those phone calls where they're like, they are about to send tear gas in. Please just come out. Don't fight people. And they think that the tactical team moved in partially as revenge for the four agents that were killed in the like first day of the siege. The building starts shaking the morning of day 51 as the FBI and the Army drive tanks literally into the building, killing at least one member of the Branch Davidians in the process. Oh, my God. They fire tear gas into a compound full of children, and the children couldn't wear gas masks because the gas masks were too big. So they ushered all of the children into the center of the building in a bunker structure where gas was unlikely to penetrate. It's the only part left standing at the end, but unfortunately, there was only one way out of it. They gassed the compound for six hours straight and mowed down sections of the building with tanks, pushing the bulk of the Davidians into the center of the compound. And the tear gas they used was highly flammable. And this is where the debate about the fire comes into play because the tear gas was flammable firing into the compound again could have ignited the gas which means that the atf could have started the fire 
But recently, and due to some new information from survivors, the consensus is that David Koresh started the fire from inside, not knowing that the tear gas was as flammable as it was, meaning that it ignited and exploded faster than he could have intended. One of the men who escaped the compound saw people pouring gasoline onto the floor and then light it. Some even say that when David built the building, he did it with this intention, although I think that's a bit of a stretch. There are only nine people who escape from the compound out of the 85 that were there. One of them is a woman named Ruth Riddle, and she is forcibly removed from the burning building. When they go through her pockets, it's found that she's carrying a 3x5 disc, and it contains the finished first seal as promised. Of the 76 Branch Davidians that die, 23 of them are children. My God. Not a single child escapes. And most of them were under five years old. So even if they had had a way out, the likelihood that they could have escaped without being carried out by an adult is very unlikely. Um, Some of the people that did escape the fire were blamed for not carrying children, but it's like they probably weren't even in the same part of the compound. They had no way of knowing. It's You can't blame them for that. Uh, The state contacts all of the children that they have in their custody, the children that were essentially released the first few weeks, and tells them all that their parents committed suicide. What? That's fucked up. Among the bodies, approximately 20 of them are found with gunshot wounds thought to be mercy killings prior to the fire, including David Koresh. But because their bodies are so badly burned, there's no way to truly know what their cause of death was. But the one thing that survives is that disc with the first seal. And because of that... Many of the people who survived the siege or who escaped before still believe. And they all now mourn their families and in many cases their children who were trapped inside. I mean, this is this is not the right way to do any of this, you know? It's just you've created a cult who believes in an apocalypse. Now you've created the persecution that they've been talking about this whole time. You know, I mean, it's it. none of it helped or did anything good. Yeah, I think if they had talked to those professors earlier on, they probably would have had a better idea. But the fact that they didn't really even know or understand what the Branch Davidians believed before going in means they hadn't done their due diligence. They should have never gone in. They should have called the raid off when they found out they didn't have the element of surprise. Yeah. You know, like, there are a million different things. And also, the guy they let the plain clothes undercover guy go, which to me says they probably could have come and just talked to them, maybe, you know, or if they had had element of surprise, it'd be different. Or they could have intercepted David Koresh at a gun show. Like, there are so many other things that could have happened yeah. that didn't have to be this, that didn't have to be our government literally firing on its own citizens. Even past that point, there's stuff where, like, they could have told, um, you know, the person in charge that 
the truth about the situation, which would have changed the the order that she gave at the end. You know, there's there's a million different points where between the FBI and David Koresh, this could have been prevented. Yeah, and every time Koresh tries to preach at them instead of just letting people go or telling people to go, infuriates me. And the survivors basically say, they're like, look, they were willing to do what God wanted, even if it meant dying, so they were never going to come out. And I'm like, but David Koresh says he's God, so if he tells people to leave, they're going to leave. So the fact that he is holding out... He is responsible, like hardcore. Yeah, this is this is very truly a, a story of two villains, and our two villains are David Koresh and the FBI. There, there are yeah. mistakes on both sides. There are um, f- full on not mistakes, but but I would say both crimes and also just. I have no other word for it but wrongdoing, but that doesn't even seem harsh enough. You it's know? really the Tiger King of horrible cults. No <laughs> yeah. one wins. Yeah, no one wins. Everyone's an asshole, and uh, guns and fire should never have been that close together. Yeah. So many mullets. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. But that is the end of our series on Waco. Oh, it's, it's a rough one. I know today was yeah. real rough. I'm so sorry, but and yeah, we want to say. I, I mean, I, I don't think we have to say this, but we didn't plan for this to be weirdly relevant right now. Um, Not at all, and yet it is. It'd be very weird if we did, honestly. Right, right, Jesus, because we've been planning this for what two years? Yeah. Do you travel yeah. in time? Um, actually, yeah. Don't tell people about it. Okay, never mind. Shh, Cut it out. I'm in the third series of Dark. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but they're just. This is, you know, this is a this is a thing. This is a this is a thing that has has persisted. This is this is. A thousand instances of people doing things wrong on both sides, um, which I don't necessarily think is is applicable right now. But um, the part to me that's especially uh, applicable is the militarization of the police. Yeah, and just the police, police and FBI's need to create hostile situations that are not hostile because they want to treat citizens as enemies instead of as human beings. Yeah, I mean, the second that their goal became covering up or making themselves look better after Ruby Ridge, and this is how they decided to do it, that's where we've got a huge problem. They, I mean, the lesson from Ruby Ridge should have been, this is what happens when we make these mistakes and we go in uninformed and we go in guns blazing when we don't have to. Yes, this is this is what what, what has happened is instead of protecting and serving the citizens of America, they get they get their fucking egos in the way, which it yeah. should never have been. Because again, like we've covered, if you really want to fucking win with without a big showdown, don't alert the press. Arrest him when he's not on the compound away from his guns. Even which he did, he left the compound regularly. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't even like Randy Weaver, where they can't get him to leave. Like this dude was out and about. The local authorities knew him. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous that this ever happened this it way. It never yeah. needed to escalate to this point. It never needed to. Well, and you look at 
FBI agents who say, oh no, four of our guys are killed, let's kill everyone. That's such a military standpoint of they're the enemy, they don't deserve to live. You know, it's this us or them thing instead of like, we're here to protect and serve citizens, there are children in the here that could be being harmed, and instead of treating the situation like there are children present and that there are innocents involved, they're treating everyone like a hostile enemy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're arresting everyone as they come out, like you said. Yeah, and they knew there were kids there because, as we know from the previous episode, Mark Broll had made those complaints about child brides. So, like, they know there are kids there. Yeah. And they came in guns blazing. And I'm going to say this, your four ATF people wouldn't have died if you hadn't come in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agreed. I mean, I, I know that... the the. I don't enjoy the death of anyone, good or bad. Yeah. I don't I don't enjoy that. But I, I also I think you're right. I don't think it would have happened had they have have done any of the things that we've mentioned. And I know hindsight twenty twenty, but this is this is not like, oh well we know better now. This is bad. This yeah. is a bad thing that people did and that was that I, <laughs> I'd like to say we've learned from, but it doesn't appear that we have. And and again, I I feel terrible for the families of those four agents. I'm sure they mourned. I'm sure it was terrible. Mm -hmm. They lost a family member who, again, is following orders. It's not like any of those four guys, you know, initiated the siege. They just kind of were the ones that were assigned to go inside. But, like, if, if they had, if the ATF had approached this more delicately, those lives would not have had to be sacrificed either. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was unnecessary carnage on all fronts because they didn't actually learn about the people they were looking at and they went in with hubris as opposed to truly evaluating the situation of what needed to happen. Did you say 76 Branch Davidians died? 76 Branch Davidians died That's out of 85 in the crazy. compound. Yeah. And again... We're not, when I say that this is weirdly relevant, I'm not at all trying to insinuate that non-white people are cult members or are being no. held hostage. Just that the tactics being used here are so fucking dirty. They're so fucking, they're wrong. Like just plain, like when you say this thing, the visceral response from a normal human being should be like, that's fucking torture, dude. You can't do that. Yeah. And they did. And do you know how they learned about those sound devices and how that breaks people's psyche? From Nazi scientists. Oh, yeah. my God. Jeez. Because the Nazis had developed sound weapons. And so when we picked them up as part of Project Paperclip, that's where we got that technology. Cool story, bro. Yeah, I, I also, I'm still, I don't, I don't, I mean, somebody who's smarter than me will have to correct me. I don't see how using tear gas isn't breaking the Geneva Convention for using chemical warfare, you know? like On I don't, children. On children. Like, there's so many things here that just, they, 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 I'm trying to keep my cool and also not fucking say something stupid, but I just, everything in here makes me so upset. Also, weird aside, if you are a an American scientist who had to work with those Nazi scientists, how do you have a dinner party and just have normal dinner conversation with them? Like, what is it? Like, okay, I guess I have to work with this guy who fucking killed a bunch of people. Well, like, it, it made water cooler talk very awkward. Yeah. I think you mean water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have this new water cooler. It has three settings. It's cold, yeah, hot, and then the tears of our enemies. And they're like, God damn it, Brian. Oh, man. But yeah, sorry. I, I was trying to bring some levity. It's horrible. It's, Everything it's, is horrible, and hard. it makes me very sad and upset. Yeah. It, Everything is awful. <laughs> Everything is gross, and it makes me feel bad. <laughs> Everything is awful. Oh, man. I, um, if you want. Uh, if you're looking for a little bit of levity, both Paige and I have been guests on our sister's show, Horror Virgin. Um, Yay! Paige was on an episode recently where they covered Crawl, which is just a, both an amazing film and an amazing podcast episode. Definitely go see it. It's 89 minutes of wall-to-wall gator action. Highly recommend. Ha. And Armando did, well, it's coming out the same day. So yeah. it came out today. Uh, deep blue sea. Yeah, nice. Deepest, bluest. My hat is my like hat a is like shark <laughs> Which fun, fun tangent story? I briefly, for like six months, drove for Lyft, like a hot second. And one night, I got called to the Burbank airport to pick somebody up, and it happened to be a screenwriter for Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yes, and I was like oh my god you wrote deep blue sea and he was just like yeah what's so funny about it and i was like what and he had no sense of humor about the movie oh my god Uh, and it was a very awkward car ride for the rest of the time it was it was roughly the (laughs) it was roughly the same time it would take to watch deep blue sea Um, yeah Deep Blue Sea is is an amazing movie um todd mikey and jen are all fantastic people um the episode that i did was so much fun Paige's episode is so much fun so if you're looking for a little bit of levity like Paige said deep blue sea came out today um so go check it out crawl came out i want to say like three weeks ago i think it was three weeks ago mm-hmm. yeah that sounds about mm-hmm. right but again very just both really fun episodes so if you need so if you need more cult podcasts but less cult podcast yeah then maybe go check out horror virgin um those episodes in particular more cult podcasts less murder um you can also this week on wednesday i'm on black card rehab like i am every wednesday uh but we are doing kind of a pretty fun episode on wednesday i don't want to spoil it but Hmm. it is also a little more levity where where can uh where can people follow black card rehab on all platform <laughs> platforms <laughs> on you can harvest black card rehab <laughs> on all platforms at black card rehab tony kansas here i got all your tractor needs for harvesting those farms re platforms, platforms. <laughs> this is the time when we would normally plug our patreon Um, But that seems kind of tasteless uh, because we just spent an hour talking about our government harming its own citizens at a time when that is all over the news. And so this week, instead of our Patreon, if you feel like you want to donate, you should do so to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. You can find them at minnesotafreedomfund.org or at mnfreedomfund on Instagram black vision collective at blackvisionscollective.org or at blackvisionscollective on instagram and reclaim the block at reclaim the block on instagram or reclaimtheblock.org all of those are organizations that are helping with the situation in minneapolis right now and could definitely use your help and 
if you can't donate, then speak up when you hear racism around you. That's free. And you could do it at any time. You can argue with your uncle on Facebook all day long. Get to it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real it's a real rough time right now. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are uh, not of the white variety, which is you know fine. Um, I'm not <laughs> I'm not okay. saying it like it's a bad thing. I'm just I'm just what I'm trying to say is that I it it's so rough right now to feel like you should be laughing or talking about anything else that isn't police brutality and it is so hard for me and and I I assume both of you too to just kind of try to pretend like everything is normal when for so long this has been a thing that we have just dealt with it it, it has been it has been a given it has been watching that uh the CNN reporter getting arrested and him understanding that I'm not supposed to be getting arrested this is completely wrong I'm on camera right now but I'm going to just give up willingly and go because otherwise I can just be another person who ends up dead it's the fear that hits your heart every time you see police sirens or even a cop car next to you in traffic it's 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 just a persistent constant feeling of fear of the people that other people think keep them safe that that thing that just happened in central park for existence or for instance where a a, a person who is a self-expressed liberal is using the notion that if she calls the police and tells them that an african-american man is threatening her life he will be killed i mean that it's it's so ingrained in us that we just kind of understand it and right now is not the first time that this has come out, but it is an important time because while everything is going to shit, we are still trying to fight. And I think that that's such an important notion in how everyone feels about this. Even though it's such a rough time for a thousand reasons, this is still something that is just constantly there. And so I'm... (laughs) I get I can't personally apologize on behalf of anyone else, but I'm sorry that it is the way that it is, and I, I I'm sorry that it's hard to be numb, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be numb. This is a conversation that needs to happen, and we we try to provide levity, we try to be nice, we try to be um we try to have a good time, but it is also important to note that if you can't donate to these, just educating yourself on what's going on, educating yourself on how it is for the other side of America, because right now we do live in two Americas. It is a duality that is ever present in the way that they treat the different kinds of protesters right now. So in closing to this really stupid rant where I'm just very um, worked up, we love all of you and um, I love everyone. And I, I really truly believe that I don't think I or I don't want to believe that all police are evil. I don't want to believe that all white people are evil. I don't want to believe that anyone is evil, just misguided. And so I just want everyone to be kind right now is I think the best message that we can put out there and that we love you and that I don't hate anyone and I wish no ill will, 
on on anyone on either side um and so if you are able to uh donate to those to those funds or to those links that we provided that would be very good but um like Paige said if you can't just take the time to understand the other side because that's what's so important that's what's needed right now so yeah i'm sorry i'll stop talking i love all of you <laughs> yeah let's not be kind to right each now. other i don't um <laughs> You know where we're at. Yeah. We're with Oprah at Oprah's house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're hanging out with Oprah. We're hanging out with Oprah. Black if, Lives Matter. We love you. Stay safe if you're protesting. Wear your mask. Stay safe in general. Yeah. I'm going to include yeah. masks in that. Stay safe in general because we love you all and we don't want anyone to get hurt. Uh, I'm going to say don't drink the soda because like it's going to make your mom mad. <laughs> and don't shred and, the teddy bear. <laughs> don't shred the teddy bear. Don't play Nancy Sinatra. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.